0: We are starting a new series, as it says on the cover of your bulletin, brought to light. And it's going to be in the first couple chapters of the book of Matthew, if you've been with us over these last couple months. We've started a series in the book of Matthew, but sort of reversed our order. We started with chapter 3 and 4, so we could be here in chapter 1 and 2 as we begin the Christmas season in earnest, which is where we'll be for the next five weeks, marching up to Christmas, looking at of course, the birth of Jesus. And what I want to say in these weeks, in this series brought to light is, what does the birth of Jesus say about who God is? What does it say about who we are? And what does it say about what it means, Christian and non-Christian, to open our lives to the life given at Christmas, the life of His Son, Jesus. So we're going to do that this morning. Our message is in the first chapter of the book of Matthew, easy to find. If you have a Bible, it's the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and uh, I will read, and I hope you'll uh, follow along, the first 16 verses of Matthew's Gospel. Please stand to your feet this morning as we begin this series and as we read these verses. Matthew chapter 16, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, in a message titled, God's Plan Revealed. God's Plan Revealed. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abminadab. Abminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been... Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim. Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar. Eleazar the father of Matthan, Matthan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You may be seated. Now, if I'm hoping, if you have been around here at the church and a browncrofter supposed to speak, you have gotten past simply reading the Bible and even listening to the Bible and to begin to actually study the Bible. I hope that you do study the Bible, decide what it really uh, means, because if you don't really study the Bible and just read it and just listen to it, you're not only going to miss what it says, you're going to miss what it can do in your life. You might ask yourself this question, all Right? Why Matthew the beginning of your book the beginning of the new testament why would you spend the opening part of your gospel with in this way you know just listing a bunch of a lot of names what could that list possibly say? You know, I mean, I remember when I was an English major in college, and, and you know, I mean, this goes back to even high school, I suppose. You know, I mean, the, the, the first paragraph is supposed to give you a thesis, some kind of sense of where you're going, so that I want to know as a reader if I want to continue to read into the rest of what you have written. Why say this? What could this possibly say to readers In his day and in ours. And I would say to you an awful lot. If you have eyes to see it. It's not just the introduction to Matthew's gospel. These verses are the introduction to the New Testament. Right? The New Testament. In fact, the book of Matthew, I think I've said this before. In the early hundred years, first hundred years of the church. It was the most um, read, most used, most common uh, of the letters that make up the New Testament, it was the, you might say the, you know, the, the Bible, the early Bible of the, ch- of, the, of the church was the book of Matthew, right? It's not just the beginning of his gospel, but the beginning of the New Testament. Well, what does it say, right? What does it say? First thing it says is God keeps his promises, right? In fact, if I thought you couldn't hack all 16 verses, I would have just read verse 1, which would have been good enough for a text for this sermon. This is how Matthew starts it. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, in the son of Abraham. Right? Now remember, the church, especially the early church, were primarily Jewish people, so the writing is to Jewish Christians, eventually, like many of us Gentile Christians, that is, we're Christians who are not from a Jewish background, But what Matthew wanted to do right off the bat, right, before he ever got out of, you know, the very first verses into the the greater 28 chapters of this book, is to say, I want to tie Jesus Christ, who this genealogy ends with in verse 16, I want to tie him to the two most important covenants, the two most important big moments in the Old Testament, that is the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with David. So he does it in the first verse. Because if you happen to be a Jew, eventually now a Jewish Christian, those were the two big names. Those were the two big covenants in the Old Testament. Abraham, where it all starts in Genesis 12, and of course David, you might say the other goalpost, the king of Israel in its golden age. Now, you might say, well, pastor, that's really interesting, but what about the Mosaic covenant? I thought Moses was a big guy. Why didn't he put his name there? And I would say he didn't put Moses' name there because Moses is not the big covenant of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when you get to the New Testament, except for the fact that the Mosaic covenant, the teachings, the Ten Commandments, continue to reflect the character of God, the rest of the Mosaic covenant is of absolutely no value to you or I having a relationship with God. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And many of us, sadly, still think that's how you enter into a relationship with God. That is through obedience to the many laws. And that's the gospel we're preaching. And maybe that's not why our friends are not following us to church, right? The Mosaic Covenant came to an end. It's not the big covenant of the Old Testament. The two big covenants, the two big deals that carry on past the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the covenants of Abraham and the covenants of David. Now, let's look at them real quickly. What do they mean? Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. Let me make these, connect these quick dots for you. What is the covenant of Abraham? Why is it important that Jesus and his gospel is connected to it? All the way back to the beginning, Genesis 17. Follow as I read. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant agreement between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers, right? It, says a, it means a, it's a big thing to say to a 99-year-old guy who doesn't have any kids. Abram fell face down and, said, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of many, for I have made you, by faith at this point, right? A father of many nations. How is that uh, uh, revealed, pastor, in this boring old list of names in Matthew chapter 1? Well, if you read it carefully and you were to compare it with some other boring lists of names in the Bible, you'd find this. There's some differences. Number one, This has five mothers in it, right? Most of the Jewish genealogies are all tracked by the father's name, the head of the household. But Matthew decides to add five mothers, the last one being Mary. But there are four others. Verse 3, verse 5, and there's two in verse 6. There is uh, another one. And four of the five women in the genealogy of Jesus, Mary being the exception, are not even Jewish. Two of them are prostitutes. One of them is a Moabite, which the Old Testament says Moabites, that group of people, for historical reasons, cannot even come to church if they're Jewish, to the 10th generation. Ruth was a Moabitess. Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab was a prostitute. And then, of course, there's Bathsheba. We'll get to her in point two, okay? Yet these women... Not Jewish, are in the royal line of Jesus the Messiah because the covenant of Abraham wants to dispel the mistaken idea that had become very popular by the time the New Testament started that God aligns himself with one kind of a people, whether that's an ethnicity or a religious point of view, but that's not. What the Bible teaches and it's not what the Bible ever taught. It's a man-made distortion. When you get to the end of the Bible, it says, with your blood you have purchased people from every tongue, every nation, every kind of people are ultimately in the kingdom. And that wasn't a novelty. That wasn't an innovation. That's the way the whole thing started way back there in Genesis chapter 17. The covenant of Abraham, Jesus as the son of Abraham, is an affirmation that God keeps his promises. And despite how the nation of Israel might have got that wrong and thought they were special just because God loved them and didn't love anybody else, or thought that they were the only receivers of God's blessing and they just decided to turn a blind eye to others, no matter what it was that they, ideas that they had, God never stopped pursuing his own promises to see the gospel go to all the world. Son of da- Abraham and son of David, right? Let's look at that one quickly. First Chronicles chapter 17. If you're reading 365 with us as a congregation, I hope you are doing more than listening to the Bible or reading it, but actually studying it, we're doing it. We just finished yesterday uh, the last chapter of 1 Chronicles. What was the book of 1 Chronicles, by the way? The book of 1 Chronicles, although it falls in the first third of your Old Testament, actually chronologically belongs at the very end of your Old Testament. And it was a book, a history book, written to a discouraged group of people. That is, the Jewish people who had lived in the Promised Land, but got basically kicked out of the Promised Land. They were exiled into Babylon, into Assyria, and and the temple was burned. And it seemed as if, for almost a hundred years that God did not keep his promises. That God's plan was never going to materialize. And finally after almost a hundred years. They're allowed to trickle back. And somebody sits down and writes the book of First Chronicles. And says let me retell you the great story. Let me start at the very beginning. And talk about God's promises. That although you have forgotten. And you've experienced judgment because of your own disobedience people. That God has never forgotten his promises. That's the point. Of First Chronicles and they're talking here about the son of David in this great promise that God gives David near the end of his life when your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors I will raise up your offspring to succeed you one of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for me that is the temple that David wanted to build and I will establish his throne circle this word forever I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor, being Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom, circle it forever. His throne will be established forever. Okay? Now, if you read this genealogy carefully, and you don't just listen to it, but you study it, and you're looking at all these careful names, David's in the middle, he becomes the great king. When you get to verse 12, there's a guy named Jeconiah. And if you compare that with the history of your Old Testament, you realize that's the last king that's ever mentioned in the Old Testament. And from Jeconiah all the way to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, these are actually people in the bloodline of David. None of them were kings. There was no more kingdom. The last couple hundred years of your Old Testament where all those names from verse 12 to verse 16 fit in. The Jewish people were ruled by the Persians, right? They were subjugated people. So God must have forgot his promises once again because there's no son sitting on the throne that is a Jewish throne for 400 years. But that's not what the promise was. Yes, David assumed that this promise meant his son Solomon. In some way it did, literally meant that Solomon would be the next king of Israel. But the promise looked beyond the king of Judah through The line of the bloodline of David, not to a king of Judah, but to the king of kings from Judah, right? That's who Jesus is. He's the king of kings. Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham that is in the gospel. It's the promise, God delivering on his promise, that the gospel, the love of God, the message of God, would not just be for one people group, not just for one religious point of view. It would be for all people. I will make you a father of many nations, and although the Jewish nation forgot about it, and later they thought that, uh, that God had forgotten about this promise for a kingship, God keeps his promises. The whole point of the birth of Jesus Christ, if it tells us anything, it tells us this. It points to the faithfulness of God that in your life and in my life, although things don't happen when you want them to happen. You know how long the, the promise of Abraham had been in uh, uh, waiting by the time this gospel was written? About 1,000 years between Genesis 17 and Matthew chapter 1. But God keeps his promises. You know how long it had been waiting from since God promised David in 2 Chronicles that he would ultimately bring forth someone that would sit on his throne forever? Nobody lives forever. Solomon didn't live forever. But that he would have someone in there forever, which he was meaning about the Messiah, that is someone from his bloodline that would become ultimately the king of kings? That was 500 years, okay, more or more. Actually, I should say that again. It was, it was 2,000 years from since Abraham and 1,000 since David. What's the point? God keeps his promises, right? God keeps his promises. That's what Christmas is about. That's what this genealogy is about. Second point in these list of names. It's all about God's grace, Right? That's what this genealogy tells us. A careful reading of this genealogy, if it is meant to be a, a, um, a, 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 a prelude to. Uh, the great Jesus. If it is supposed to be in some ways an introduction, it's supposed to be. You might even say a a some kind of religious track, right? It's supposed to tell people, I want to set up for you. I want to bring a lot of things together. I want to say Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is God's promised Messiah. I want to put him forth as the head of a movement. And here is the the document. This is the you know the 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 the, the document, almost like you know Mao's Red Book or or you know Confucius's sayings. I want to give you this thing that wants to tell you who this great leader is, right? But most, what's, what's unusual about this introductory uh, verses in the book of Matthew is it's not, it doesn't read like a political document because most political documents are going to do everything they can to advance, to give you the best reputation of their leader, right? And a lot of those leaders, with all a lot of those documents that we could look at today, we could name many people, past and present, They often include some truth, but an awful lot of myth. Right? We have to mythologicalize some of the people. We have to say things about them that perhaps aren't almost almost superhuman for us to embrace them. We come up with these stories. You know, even in America, that's true. We like to think that this America or that America was founded on this sort of more real politique kind of version of things. Like we we just we're, we're practical people. We're turning our back on this whole idea of monarchy and and, 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 and royalty, and we just want to have a regular representative government. We don't want these kind of mythological figures that are superhuman. We just want men and women who can lead us. But, you know, the truth is, I think George Washington did tell a lie, okay, or two. And Abraham Lincoln was not some country bumpkin lawyer who stumbled his way into the presidency. That's a nice story, but it's not true, okay? It's not true. This this particular genealogy was written on purpose so that people might be stunned, right? If this genealogy was written to give Jesus a good name, it was not a very well-written genealogy because there are prostitutes in it, there are Gentiles in it, there are Moabites in it, there's a murderer in it, at least one that I know of. If I was writing a genealogy, if I was writing a political tract, I don't think I would include those things in there. And if the picture you're painting of God or the picture that you have in your idea in your head about God is of a moral do-gooder, then perhaps this genealogy would be embarrassing to you, right? (laughs) right? Or to me. But Matthew is not trying to communicate that. What he's trying to say in these 16 verses, this list of names, is to say anybody that's related to Jesus, not just the people in this genealogy, but anybody that's related to Jesus since then is related only because of one reason, God's grace. Because right next to David, the man after God's own heart, he's sandwiched in between Rahab, the prostitute, and Bathsheba, okay, to make a point to make a point, right? What's Uriah's name even doing in the genealogy? Why not just call her by her name, right? What is her name? Yeah, why not just call her by her name? If you can't just say, you know, David was the, uh, the father of Solomon and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, that's how I would write it right? No one no says I have to put her name in there. At least why not just say David was the father of Solomon and Bathsheba was the, mo- the mother of Solomon and Solomon the father of Rehoboam. Leave it at that. Everyone knew her name. She's in the Old Testament. Why call her Uriah's wife unless the whole point of saying that is you're trying to point out the fact that David slept with a woman that wasn't his wife if you're trying to point out the fact that he had a man murdered to try to cover it up. That's the only reason I can think of that you'd put it in there, okay? But what Matthew wants to say is, listen, it's all about God's grace, right? Do you get that? Do I get that? And a sign that you get that or I get that is that your life is characterized. If grace is really appreciated by you or me, if you really understand what the gospel is at the heart of the gospel, which is being communicated in this in genealogy, the fruit of it will, in your life will be humility, okay? Humility. When you come even to this table, you'll come with humility. But people didn't have it in Jesus' day. Jesus can't. We'll, we'll look at this later next year. When, when Jesus is sitting down to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23... Right? And he says to them, to the religious people, to the pastors, outside you appear righteous, but you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness, you brood of vipers. right? You're condemned to hell. That's what Jesus says. Not because they didn't have the right answers. They could have connected the dots, but they weren't humble. right? I think believe it was the great Billy Graham who said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, okay? That's what this genealogy tells us. That no matter who you are, okay? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, no matter who you are, if you are in Jesus' genealogy, that is to say, in, you're a Christian, you're only there for one reason only. has nothing to do with what school you went to, or the color of your skin, or the, who your parents are, or how good you are, or not good you are. It's because of the grace of Almighty God. He is the Father of many nations. From your, you, for, with your blood you purchase for people from every tribe, every language, every people, every Nation. Now that's just not an important message for non Christians in this room. If you say, you know, I'm here in church today, but I've never ever honestly felt worthy, like I was worthy of God's love, I was worthy to really be a, a, a what, what some of my friends are, or my or my my parents were, or my my neighbors are. I never felt worthy to be in a relationship with God. This message is not only for you; it's for Christians too. The Apostle Paul will later say in the New Testament. Book of Galatians. He says, I got a problem with you, some of you Galatians. You, you got a problem. You, you've entered into one door to have a relationship with God. He calls it God's grace. But you think what it means to pursue a relationship with God, you go through another door, right? It's all about God's laws, and you put you you've picked up the Mosaic law in a manner of speaking. And you're still Christians, but in the process, you've become very narrow minded. You've become very faithless. And although you're on your way to heaven, your attitudes, your life smells of hell. Right? It's a paraphrase of the book of Galatians. Matthew wants us to know. I want you to know. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He may not be who you thought he was or who you want him to be, but he's the son of Abraham. He's the father of not only the kind of people you like, but the kind of people you don't like. Right? He's the son of Abraham, the son of David. And what this genealogy screams to us is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about God's grace, right? That's what it is. Which leads to the final point as we get ready for this table, and that is: only the humble can see it. Only the humble can see it. This is so. This is this is God, hidden in plain sight. The gospel is actually a very simple message. It's powerful. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing that God would come in the person of a human being of his son and send him into the world to look like regular people, to have a zip code and live a perfect life and die and con- be condemned even though he never did a wrong thing so that he could be a proxy uh, a, a gift of, of, of forgiveness to lots of other people. It's an amazing, amazing story. Okay? Really is an amazing story. But it's so simple in a way. It's almost like saying, you know, Gary, here's my friend Gary, and he has a bill to pay, and he can't pay it, and he's overwhelmed. And I say, here's a check for X thousands of dollars, and you go, wonderful, and you pay the bill. It's very simple in a sense. But many people, past and present, don't receive it. Why? It's not because it's hard to understand. It's hard to receive because you have to, only the humble can see it, right? Only the humble can see it. My premise in this whole series is this. The Christmas story not only... Shows us the way to God. Listen carefully. Wake up if you're sleeping. It shows us the way of God. Okay? It doesn't just show us the way to God. It shows us who God is. God Could, could God have chosen... How does this genealogy end? You know, blah, 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 blah. Jacob, the father of Joseph, who was married to Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, God, if we believe God can do whatever he wants, I think let's just take that as a given for this uh, sermon. He could have, and, and his plan is to send his, uh, his servant in through human, uh, the human um, uh, race to, to bring about salvation. He could have chosen anybody he wanted to. He could have chosen Herod's household, Caesar's household, uh, you know, uh, the, the people that went to Harvard. He could have chosen whatever he wanted. Why did he choose... Two people, Mary and Joseph, who didn't have money to send their kids to private school. Okay? Why did he choose two people not from Jerusalem, which was the New York City of the ancient Near East, which were where sophisticated people went. He chose them from Nazareth, which if you read the New Testament, was the last place you'd want to be from. You wouldn't put Nazareth on your resume. Okay? I live in Dallas for many years, and what I learned about this after living there many years, half the people from Dallas aren't from Dallas. They're from a zillion small towns in Arkansas and Texas. They want no one says I'm from Oatmeal, Texas. They say I'm from Dallas, okay? <laughs> on their resume. Only the humble concede. He chose them on purpose. Quickly, a couple of verses. We got to take this table together. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, from the self-satisfied, self-righteous people who think they know it all and revealed them unto little children. Not really simply talking about little children. He's talking about the attitude of the heart. Chapter 13. But blessed are your eyes, speaking to his disciples, because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people, righteous people, longed to see what you did, but they didn't see it. Why? Because they were literally blind? No. Because of their pride, right? And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The church looks at the Christmas story not just to remind us the way to God but the way of God and I want to say this to you Christian and non-Christian here we're going to take this table and be done if you want God in your life if you're not a Christian or if you want more of God in your life you are a Christian okay you have there's only one way you have to humble yourself right you have to humble yourself Because this isn't just the way to God, it's the way of God, right? This is the way of God. The world stands at arm's length from God today not because the bar is so high. The bar is very low. He did it all. He came from heaven to earth to show you the way. He lived a perfect life, right? The birth points to his death. People said no thanks. They said you know, we dare you to, 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 to um, respond to our slaps and our spits and our mocks. And he said nothing, even though he could have. He says in, in Matthew, I think later, he could have called legions of angels and, and, and reduced the whole crowd to dust. But he didn't, right? Because God said, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to keep my promises, even though people like you and me don't keep your promises. And I'm going to show you that what it means to be in the family of God has nothing to do, nothing to do with what you look like, where you went to school, what you did last night. You got nothing to offer God. I have nothing to offer. Listen, David has nothing to offer God. I don't think Matthew was, didn't like David. I don't think Matthew was playing one-upmanship. I think Matthew says he was with The wife of Uriah so that none of us would miss the point, okay, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, amen? So as we prepare to take this table, first let me say this, if you're a non-Christian in this room, what does that mean? Doesn't mean you go to church or don't go to church, doesn't mean you went to this or that school, it doesn't mean you even could quote the Bible. Those are all okay things. It means you've never fully experienced the grace of God, the sheer grace of God. You've never exchanged your self-serving, self-righteous, maybe I'm doing the best I can method of relationship with God. You've never exchanged, you never just let it go and be honest before God and said, listen, I'm a sinner. I have no, um, nothing to offer you, God. And I'm just looking, and God says, Now you're ready. You've never experienced God's forgiveness. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised them from the dead, we shall be saved. That's a fancy way of saying, If you believe what God said, God keeps his promises. Do you believe it? If you believe it, that's all it takes to become a Christian. Isn't that amazing? So if that's your story, let this, um, these elements pass and receive what they represent or at least rep- receive that first, which is God's grace. But the rest of us, this is my challenge to you in the couple minutes, okay? Think about your moment, your life right now vis-a-vis this, um, these elements, right? Do you truly believe that your name, Phil, Rob, right? Beth. Release, right? Your name is right in that genealogy, right next to Rahab, right next to Tamar, right next to that old cat, David, okay? There's where your name belongs. There's where my name belongs, right? Allow the grace of God. That's what this table represents, okay? The foot, the cross, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So we're going to pass this out. Hold on to it, okay? You get a cup two cups let's take them together hold on to it and we'll take them together let me pray for us first Father thank you for these moments thank you for the the opportunity to be standing here this morning we acknowledge I acknowledge Lord that there is nothing I can bring to the table all I have is an open hand And it's been met by the love and grace of God. And this table represents that. Lord, help us even as we take a minute just to think, as we prepare to be reminded that it's all about grace and that only the humble can see it. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.